The reading this morning is from Isaiah. It's actually the last chapter, chapter 66. And it's on page 754 in the Bibles and the Pews. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things, and so they came into being, declares the Lord? These are the ones I look on with favour, those who are humble and contrite in spirit, and who tremble at my word. But whoever sacrifices a bull is like one who kills a person, and whoever offers a lamb is like one who breaks a dog's neck. Whoever makes a grain offering is like one who presents pig's blood, and whoever burns memorial incense is like one who worships an idol. They have chosen their own ways, and they delight in their abominations. So I also will choose harsh treatment for them, and bring on them what they tread. For when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, no one listened. They did evil in my sight, and chose what displeases me. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your own people who hate you and exclude you because of my name have said, Let the Lord be glorified, that we may see your joy. Yet they will be put to shame. Hear that uproar from the city, hear that noise from the temple. It's the sound of the Lord repaying his enemies all they deserve. Before she goes into labour, she gives birth. Before the pains come upon her, she delivers a son. Who's ever heard of such things? Who's ever seen things like this? Can a country born in a day, or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labour than she gives birth to her children. Do I bring to the moment of birth and not give delivery, says the Lord? Do I close up the womb when I bring delivery, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice greatly with her, all you who mourn over her. For you will feed and be satisfied at her comforting breasts. You will drink deeply and delight in her overflowing abundance. For this is what the Lord says. I will extend peace to her like a river, and the wealth of nations like a flooding stream. You will feed and be carried on her arm and dandled on her knees. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. When you see this, your heart will rejoice, and you will flourish like grass. The hand of the Lord will be made known to his servants, but his fury will be shown to his foes. See, the Lord is coming with fire, and his chariots are like a whirlwind. He will bring down his anger with fury, and his rebuke with flames of fire. For with fire and with his sword, the Lord will execute judgment on all people, and many will be those slain by the Lord. Those who consecrate and purify themselves to go into the gardens, following one who is among those who eat the flesh of pigs, rats, and other clean things, they will meet their end together with the one they follow, declares the Lord. <clears throat> and I, because of what they have planned and done, am about to come and gather the people of all nations and languages, and they will come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them, and I will send, send some of those who survived to the nations, to Tarshish to the Libyans and Lydians, famous as archers, to Tubal and Greece, and to the distant islands that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. <clears throat> they will proclaim my glory among the nations, 
and they will bring all your people from all nations to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord on horses, in chariots and wagons, and on mules and camels, says the Lord. They will bring them as the Israelites bring their grain offerings to the temple of the Lord in ceremonial clean vessels. And I will select some of them also to be priests and Levite, says the Lord. As the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure. From one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. And they will go out and look on the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. The worms that eat them will not die. The fire that burns them will not be quenched, and they will be loathsome to all mankind. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's just pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we pray that we would indeed be those who tremble at your word. May it be our guide. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher. And may your glory be our chief concern. In Jesus' name, amen. Who do you trust? Who do you put your trust in? It's such an important thing, isn't it, trust? I saw some research from 2022 uh, which concluded that the most trusted brand in the UK was Boots, the chemist. There you go. I don't know if you agree with that or not. Of course, it varies around the world. In Japan, it was Toyota. In France, it was Lidl. In Italy, it was WhatsApp, believe it or not. Um, but it's not just in the world of commerce that trust is key, is it? Politicians want your trust. Trust us with the NHS. Trust us with the security of the nation. Of course, when surveys are done about different professions, politicians don't tend to come that high up in the trust stakes. It's often professions like nurses and doctors who come at the top of that one, isn't it? But we all have to decide who to trust every day of our lives. Uh, it's crucial. And the great book of the prophet Isaiah, which we've been returning to over these last few years, uh, has repeatedly returned to this question. Isaiah's big question, who will you trust? Uh, it's a question that was addressed to God's people by Isaiah in the 8th century BC. Uh, sometimes Isaiah's focus has been sharpened, particularly on the leaders of God's people, Israel, kings like Ahaz and Hezekiah who were tempted to trust in their alliances with other nations rather than trusting the word of the Lord and his security. And it's the question that Isaiah keeps on leaving hanging. And he is asking us today, all these years later, who will you trust with your life, with your future, with your security? Who will you trust to, that you will listen to and follow the word of? Will it be the Lord? And as we've been through these 66 chapters, Isaiah has made several things abundantly clear uh, time and again. Um, two of them are that it really is the Lord you should trust because he offers the most tremendous hope and future and it's going to come through his chosen one. And secondly, he's made it clear that there will be some who trust in the Lord, but there will also be some who do not. There will be two groups of people some who refuse to trust the Lord and hear his voice, but also those faithful people who God will gather to himself, and they will be those 
who trust in him. And this is where we land as we come to the end of the book, here in chapter 66. In many ways, the key summary verses are those last three verses right at the end of the chapter. We'll come to 24 a little bit later on. Um, But in 22 and 23, the Lord speaks again of his new creation. And he says in verse 22, your name and your descendants will endure. You're going to have children, descendants. And look, he says, they'll endure forever from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, from week to week, in other words. And all mankind will come and bow before me, says the Lord. And really the chapter, chapter 66, is all about these descendants, these children who the Lord promises, the ones who will inhabit his new creation, which if you were here last week, um, you will have been thinking about with Tom. And Isaiah tells us who these descendants are, how they will come into being, how they will be born, and where they will come from. So first of all, who are they? Who are these who will be counted as the descendants of the Lord, his children? And probably the key verse which helps us to answer this first question is verse 2, the second part of it, where Isaiah says, the Lord says through Isaiah, these are the ones I look on with favour those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Now, there are several things that we need to pick up on here. The first one is that this is the answer to Isaiah's prayer. I don't know if you were here, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, uh, and we looked at Isaiah's great prayer in chapters 63 and 64. Do you remember what Isaiah prayed? If you just flick back to Isaiah 64, verse 1, that great prayer Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. A great cry for God to rip open the curtain. In the all-age service at 1045 on that day, Tom had people ripping a towel in half to illustrate the breaking open of the, the curtain between heaven and earth, calling for God to enter into his world. And then a few verses later on, Isaiah 64 verse 9, Isaiah prays, Oh, look upon us, we pray, for we are all your people. And if we look back at chapter 66 and the end of verse 2, here is at least part of the answer to Isaiah's prayer for God to look upon his people. These are the ones I look on with favour, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Yes, Isaiah, I am going to rend the heavens and come down. I am looking on my people as I have promised. I will do that, says the Lord. That's the first thing, it's an answer to prayer. Second thing is the contrast that we find in these opening verses. The contrast between those people that we read about there in verse 2, who come to the Lord empty-handed, humble, contrite in spirit. Jesus later on says poor in spirit, doesn't he? Not full of themselves or thinking what they're bringing. Not trying to impress God, but asking him for help. Those who come empty-handed. But on the other hand, those who are practicing empty religion. Look at verses 3 and 4. The Lord particularly singles out the temple attenders, the worshippers who sacrifice bulls and lambs. Look, They burn incense and make offerings. But for them, they're just going through the motions. It doesn't mean anything. It's just empty religion. The Lord says they're like murderers, like one who kills a person. They have no value like breaking a dog's neck, just pointless, meaningless. They might as well be worshipping idols. They've chosen their own ways, he says, instead of trembling at my word. They delight in their abominations. 
The Lord is looking at them too, but not with favour. Verse 4 says, because they did evil in my sight. Now Isaiah is saying this, the Lord is saying this to his people in Isaiah's generation very much as a warning. It was coming to them. Their warnings, though, that continue to, to resonate and to echo down through the centuries to us too. In the immediate term, Isaiah is preparing the people for the destruction of their city and their temple, which would happen some years later on, another century further on, when the Babylonians would come and invade. 587 BC, the temple in Jerusalem would be destroyed. As you probably know, it would be rebuilt a little bit later on. That's what the book of Ezra is all about, before finally being destroyed again by the Romans in 70 AD. And it's never been rebuilt. And if you go to Jerusalem, so maybe some of you have been there, you can go to the place where it was, but the temple isn't there. So there is that immediate warning that Isaiah is giving to the people. This is where empty religion without fear of the Lord will get you. But the warning stands. The Lord invites us to come to him humbly, contrite in spirit, like children with empty hands to receive from him and to be those who tremble at his word. So let us not also be tempted into thinking what some of the people in Israel at that time seemed to think, that by doing the right religious stuff, they would make the Lord pleased with them. No amount of coming to church or receiving communion, singing the songs, saying the prayers, will count for anything at all, not if our ears and our hearts remain closed to the, what the Lord says in his word. Come humbly and tremble. I want to say if that's a warning for individuals, uh, it's also a warning for the church as a whole. Uh, it's a timely message for the Church of England as the General Synod prepares to meet again in a few weeks' time. And it's one thing for people to dress in fine robes and hold impressive acts of worship at York Minster or wherever it is that they're meeting this next time. But what will the Lord say to those who choose what displeases him instead of trembling at his word. So the Lord answers Isaiah's prayer. He answers it both positively and negatively. Those he looks on with favour, and those who are doing evil in his sight. Um, the third thing, though, is that in all of this, we shouldn't miss, once again, and this has been a refrain the last few weeks, where all of this is pointing. Um, if you have been here through this series, and if you've read Isaiah up to this point, you will know that, that he's been asking the question, how can the unfaithful people of God there in Jerusalem, who we've been reading about since chapter 1, become the holy people of God's new creation? They're mentioned in chapter 1 as well, and we were reading about the new creation last week in, in chapter 65. How is it possible for, for that lot to become this lot? And the Lord's answer, in all kinds of different ways, but time and again has been, I'm going to do it through my chosen one through my anointed one. There is going to be one, my chosen servant in whom I delight, the divine warrior who is going to defeat all the powers of evil and death. There is going to be a man through whom I will do this miraculous thing. And it's interesting that while the, the NIV translates that last part of verse 2 in the plural, if you have a look, these are the ones I will look on with favour. That's one way of translating it. Um, those who are humble and contrite in spirit, most English Bible translations prefer, and probably rightly, this is the one I will look upon. He who is humble and contrite in spirit. Now, I know why the NIV does what it does. 
um, the translation we have here. It's, it's wanting to, to not make it masculine when it's something which speaks to all of us, whether we're male or female. But there is another thing being said here, isn't there? Because in all of human history, there has only been one person, one man, who has exhibited really that humility and that contriteness of spirit, that absence of pride, that selflessness. One who trembles at the word of his father and does only what he says. The one who came not to be served, but to serve. I'm talking about Jesus, of course. And so when the Lord looks on all those, as the NIV puts it, who are humble and contrite in spirit, we need to remember who are those people? They are those who are included in Christ. They are those who belong to him, who are not looking at themselves, looking at ourselves, wondering if we've made the grade, but who are looking to him, knowing that he has lived this out perfectly and he counts us as his children. And these are the descendants that Isaiah is speaking about here. That's who they are. Now, second question out of verse 22 is, well, how do they come into being, these descendants? How are these children born? And even as the destruction of verses 5 and 6 is taking place, as judgment falls on the temple and on all those who do not tremble at the word of the Lord, look at verse 7. There is a miraculous birth taking place. Now, we know how babies are born, don't we? We've all been born. We don't remember it. Some of us have given birth. Um, some others of us have probably been present at a birth at some point. But none of us have witnessed a birth quite like this one. Before she goes into labor, she gives birth. Before the pains come upon her, she delivers a son. I can imagine some people would think this sounds like quite an attractive way of giving birth. I couldn't comment, obviously. But this is an unusual delivery in more than one way, because the birth of the son there in verse 7 quickly becomes the arrival of a whole nation in verse 8. And so Isaiah may well ask, as he does, who has ever heard of such things? Who has seen things like this? Can a country be born in a day, or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion, that's just another word for Jerusalem, no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. So this is, this is not just a description of a normal birth. It's a supernatural birth. The gynecologists and the midwives have never seen anything quite like this. But what the Lord promises here is certain and it's irrevocable. Look at verse 9. Do I bring to the moment of birth and not give delivery, says the Lord? And if you know anything about birth, you will know the answer is, of course not. That is not how birth works, is it? When the baby is on its way, it's on its way. Now, Isaiah isn't actually saying anything new here in chapter 66. It's the last chapter of a long book, and he's bringing together key themes, points that he's made earlier on. And he is summarizing what he said back in chapter 7 here, a long time ago that we read that together. It was the autumn of 2019, if you were here then. Not expecting you to remember it. Um, chapter 7, verse 14, though, says this. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Speaking to King Ahaz, actually, this is. The virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, I imagine those words may well be familiar because, of course, they're quoted by the angel in the Christmas story when he appears to Joseph, aren't they? Uh, and he tells Joseph about what is going to happen in Matthew chapter 1. 
And so we know who this son is. And both because of what happened to Joseph, but also because this thread has been running through the book of Isaiah from beginning to end. And not only through Isaiah, but right through history until the son was born in Bethlehem. And it's pointing us to the same thing that verse 2 was. That there is one humble, faithful man that the Lord will bring, through whom the Lord will bring into being his people and who he will look on with favour. It's because the son who is born here in verse 7 is Jesus Christ that there will be a nation in verse 8. This nation that consists of all those who belong to him by faith, united with him and counted as his. And so then in the next few verses we get this great picture of the people of God pictured as his children. Um, The new redeemed city of Jerusalem which was promised in chapter 1 fulfilled here in chapter 66 in Christ. And we get this great picture, don't we? We've gone from the the birthing room to the nursery, a baby being dandled on its mother's knee, um, being well-fed, looked after, cared for. It's a picture of peace and safety and security, isn't it, there in verses 10 to 13. You will feed and be carried on her arm and dandled on her knees. We don't have time to look at all the details of this here this morning, um, but the big point is that long before... He brought everything to to pass in that stable in Bethlehem. God had a plan and a purpose to bring a people for himself into being who would be an everlasting people, who would tremble at his word, and they will all be able to trace their origin to this one child. Out of this son, out of Jesus Christ, comes the nation. And the Lord will nurture his people. He will care for his people. He will provide for them. And they, we, will enjoy and celebrate his presence forever. And he will comfort them, Isaiah says. Listen, that is his promise to you. I know there's all kinds of complicated things in Isaiah. But that is his promise to you as someone who is in Christ. Isaiah's message is that it is connection with this child that is the key aspect of being part of God's new creation. So if you want your life to have a purpose, and if those purposes are to have eternal value and significance, the key question is very simple in the end. Are you connected to the Son? Who do you trust? What are you trusting in him? And as I said a moment ago, that is the big question that Isaiah has continually returned to. For the people of Israel, the temptation was to trust in alliances with other nations, as well as to trust in performing those religious rites and ceremonies and hoping that they would please God. For us, there are all kinds of temptations, aren't there? All kinds of voices we could listen to. Temptations of, which are gods of wealth and of pleasure, uh, popularity, success. Things we could look to for satisf- satisfaction and a sense of meaning. But the only one in the end who can answer our prayers and give us the the longings of our hearts is the Son who gave himself up for us. It's in him that we find this hope. Um, And so the last question, briefly, is where do all these descendants come from? Um, Who are they? They're those who tremble at God's word. How do they come into being through Jesus Christ, his chosen Son? Where do they come from? And the answer is they will come from all over the world. It's that section with um, the various names in it, isn't it? This new nation that God is creating will be drawn from people 
of every language, tribe, and nation under heaven. Verse 18, the Lord says, Because I, because of what they have planned and done, am about to come and gather the people of all nations and languages, and they will come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them, and I will send some of those who survive, that's those who survived the fire and the judgment of verses 15 and 16. I'll send them to Tarshish, which is possibly Spain, to the Libyans and Lydians, to Tubal, a far north, to Greece, and to the distant islands. I guess that's us, isn't it? They will proclaim my glory among the nations. And when the Lord says there in verse 19, I will set a sign among the nations, well, given all that Isaiah has said, that sign must be the cross. Jesus himself said, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to me. That is what Isaiah is looking to here. By his death and resurrection, the children of the Lord will be gathered in from all places on an equal footing, included in the death and resurrection and eternal life of Christ. That is a great promise, and that is the wonderful hope we have, um, as there has been throughout this great book. Um, but just finally, as I close, it is also uncomfortable, isn't it? Isn't the ending of the book of Isaiah a little bit uncomfortable? Did you notice that as we read it? Because even after the reminder of the promises of the eternal new heavens and new earth and the gathering of the Lord's people, Isaiah hasn't quite finished, has he? There is also verse 24. What will all the children of God do? The Lord says they will go out and look on the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. The worms that eat them will not die. The fire that burns them will not be quenched. And they will be loathsome to all mankind. And I don't know, maybe like me, you want to say to Isaiah, Isaiah, that seems a strange place to, to end. You know, we get that your book has been all about both judgment and promise, warnings as well as hope. But, you know, in terms of crafting your story like that, wouldn't you have been better finishing at the end of chapter 65 and leaving us on the note of the new heavens and the new earth? Why don't you do that? And I think the answer is actually quite clear, and it's simply this. We're not there yet. There are still people who need God's rescue. Members of Jesus' family who need to hear his voice and be brought home. Jesus is still doing the work of gathering the nations in. That is why the church exists. That, that's what he is doing until he returns. The church is there to, to hold out that hope in what we say and in what we do. And so until that day, which is inevitable and certain, as inevitable and certain as the birth of that baby in verse 9, until that day, there is work to be done, and it's still a time of warning. And the Lord wants to continue to warn people as well as assure them because he is patient, because he loves all who he has made. He loves his people too much to leave them ignorant of the consequences of not coming to him. And so neither should we close our eyes or our hearts to the tragic needs of those around us who haven't met Jesus for themselves. And so Isaiah ends with this because the warning stands. It's urgent. Um, he doesn't sugarcoat it, and neither should we. There is salvation. It is to be found in Jesus, the humble Son of God. And everyone needs the opportunity to respond to him. And so for those of us who've done that, I take it that that is most, if not all of us here this morning, Jesus sends us to the nations, as in verse 19, to proclaim the good news that there is eternal life and hope in the Son of God who is creating a people for himself.
his invitation still goes out. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus who has done what we could not do, who lives the life that we cannot manage, and who stands there on our behalf and says of us, these are mine, these are my children. They belong to me. You belong to me. Please would you reassure us once again that we stand before you with confidence on the basis of what he has done not on how well we manage to do. And please would you give us a heart for the lost, for those who have not yet met you for themselves. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.